attention back uh, for a few moments here as we look at the remainder of our time to Matthew 28. Here in Matthew 28, we see uh, Matthew's account of the resurrection of Christ. And I want to focus in on a few of the miracles surrounding Christ's resurrection. Three days prior, Jesus offered himself upon Calvary's cross and made atonement for the sins of the entire world. From upon that same cross, Jesus cried out in victory three words, It is finished, signifying that all the satisfactory offering for sin had been offered and God's wrath for sin, for all sin, had been completely appeased. Mankind would no longer have to live hopelessly in sin, but would have the opportunity, finally, to have full and complete atonement and forgiveness from all of our sin if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. We would not have to live under dominion of sin any longer. Sin doesn't have to rule and reign over us because through faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible very clearly teaches that man can be finally forgiven of his sin, finally freed from the shackles of sin and the eternal condemnation to hell that we, told, that we are told we have because of our sin. What makes the resurrection so important is that it is one single event that has made all of our salvation possible. Without the resurrection of Christ, none of us would be freely free from sin. If Jesus only died on the cross and stayed buried in that tomb, we would still be hopeless. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are all important. They're all necessary. They're all valuable to the whole story. Without any one of them, we have nothing. But with all of them, we have everything. And praise the Lord that we're here today, here on Resurrection Sunday, able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he is no longer in the grave, for he is risen. It is hard to believe that any single event in history would be so crucial that its impact would span throughout all the ages of time from that point forward. The resurrection of Christ, it forms the very foundation of our Christianity. The foundation that we stand upon, what gives us our faith and hope, is that Jesus Christ went to the cross, was buried in the tomb, and three days later rose from the grave. That's what we're standing on. That's what gives legs to all of this. That's what allows us to have faith in the hope and, and glories of heaven. It's all because of the resurrection. So today is truly a glorious day. If you're a Christian, today is the most glorious day. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, make today the most glorious day. Make today the day that you trust in Jesus once and for all and don't rely on anything else, not on any of your own work or your own intellect or your own ability to get you through in this life, but throw yourself at the mercy of God who has gone to the cross on your behalf and paid the full and complete debt of all your sin and has made it so easy where all you have to do is believe in Jesus as your Savior, that he has paid the full debt that he rose from the grave for your sin because he went to the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and he rose on the third day to give you freedom from that sin. So you're no longer bound by it. You're no longer chained by it, but you're freed now to know what the joys of heaven will one day be like. And the beauty of it all, what makes it glorious is that Jesus has made it so simple. All you have to do is to believe that Jesus is your savior, that he paid the price for your cross paid the price for your sins upon that cross the bible makes it so simple for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life this day serves as a constant reminder if you're saved 
that your salvation is real because your faith is not resting in your own ability, in your own intellect, but it is resting in a risen Savior. Of all the religious systems in the world, none can say that their faith is resting in a risen Savior. Jesus said in John 2, 19, as he spoke of his future resurrection, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. In John 10, in verses 17 and 18, he says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He declared also in John eleven twenty five. 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. But Jesus didn't just speak of it. He didn't just tell people all these stories of what he was going to do. He did it. He went to the cross and paid for our sins. He was buried in the tomb, and the evidence of the empty tomb proves the truth in his words that he laid down his life to take it up again. Now, our passage this morning records for us the words of the angel at the empty tomb where Christ was laid. And it says, notice what it says here. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and beheld him by the feet and worshipped him. And then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. The angel met the women at the tomb, and he said, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Of no other religious leader at any time in history have those words ever been said and ever been true. The body of Gwadama, the founder of Buddhism, was duly burnt after his death. The body of Muhammad was buried in Mecca and is still buried there today. The body of Confucius was buried in the village of his family and is still resting in that same grave. No affirmation of resurrection has ever been associated with the founders of any other major world religion. History turned over a new leaf when Jesus Christ was buried in that tomb and three days later rose from that grave. Something happened that day. That day that had never happened before and would never happen again. God who entered humanity, who lived among men, who went to the cross and offered himself in the place of every single sinner, died upon that cross, was buried in that tomb, and on three days later triumphantly rose from the grave just as he said he would. This finished the work that made salvation possible. So it goes without saying why today is such a glorious day if you know Jesus as your personal Savior. It goes without saying why Resurrection Sunday, it never gets old. How can it get old when you're reminded of your eternal salvation? When does that ever get old? 
It goes without saying why that when Christ walked out of the grave on that third day, how he made it possible for us to have eternal victory over all of our sin, for us to be in heaven one day as we come to him in faith. It's no more glorious than to know that you have eternal life. What took Christ just a few moments as he arose and walked out of that tomb offered every single one who comes to him in faith eternal blessings. So praise the Lord for this glorious day. Praise the Lord if you're saved today. And praise the Lord if you're not, that you're hearing the message today, how you can be saved. How you can be freed from the sin that is constantly going to keep you away from Christ. How you can know for sure that you're going to be in heaven one day. And how simple God has made it for you. That all you have to do is to believe that Jesus is your Savior. That he's gone to the cross on your behalf. And that he died and was rose, risen from the grave three days later. He has done all that's necessary to just come and believe that he is the enough. Although it was wonderful, amazing to hear that a Savior was born for us. We know that he was born to be our Savior, and he wasn't our Savior until he miraculously walked out of that grave. All four gospel accounts record Christ's resurrection, and this morning, again, we're looking at Matthew's account. I read for you what it says there in the first 10 verses, and while the resurrection itself was really the, the crowning miracle of Christ's time here on earth, there were several other miracles that happened during the same time, all of which associated with the foundational day in Christianity, which I believe demand our attention as an introduction to the great miracle itself. First of all, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. You're in Matthew 28. Look back at Matthew 27 and verse number 51. Because back in Matthew 27 and verse 51, when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out from the cross one final time, we're told this in verse 51. It says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. There was a great earthquake, the Bible says, as Jesus died. But three days later, in Matthew 28, verse 2, which we just read, the Bible tells us of another great earthquake, only this time it happened as Jesus rose from the, rose, rose from the dead. It says in verse two, 2 of Matthew 28, And behold, there was a great earthquake. The earth shook as Jesus died, and the earth shook as Jesus was made alive again. It's pretty incredible to think about these earthquakes, which truly are miraculous. The first one describes the ground shaking, the rocks breaking, which doesn't happen from any small earthquake. And yet... The cross itself upon which Jesus Christ was hanging was completely undisturbed. Everyone would have felt this great earthquake and everyone would have been astonished at the fact that the cross remained still. We see with the second great earthquake that the massive stone which covered the entrance of the tomb was not dislodged. It was obviously a significant earthquake for the Bible describes it in verse number 2 of Matthew 28. There it says there was a great earthquake. And yet things we would have expected to have been disturbed and dislodged by such an event remained completely unaffected. Now I believe that creation itself was honoring the victorious Jesus Christ with this great earthquake. I believe that God shook the earth on these two occasions when Jesus died upon the cross and when he rose again from the tomb to serve as yet another reminder of his divine control over all of nature and all of, all of creation. 
So we see the earthquake first, but second, I want you to notice that we have the appearance, the action, and the announcement from the angel of the Lord. Notice verses 3 through 7 once more here in Matthew 28. It says, His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. The appearance, the action, and the announcement from the angel. It's interesting when you compare each of the different gospel accounts of this glorious day, because they all point out different details. They all highlight different elements. For instance, Matthew here records only one angel, and it says of him that his appearance was like lightning. Mark also mentions only one angel, and it describes him looking like a young man clothed in a long white garment. Luke mentions two angels and describes them both as two men st standing by in shining garments. John also mentions two angels dressed in white, one sitting at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain inside the tomb. Though all four accounts may record different aspects of the same event, what I want you to focus on is the appearance of the angel. Because the appearance of angels is nothing short of miraculous. The Bible says, it says, his countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now that, in my view, is an appropriate response because the appearance of an angel is no ordinary thing, but extraordinary. The soldiers were not ready for this encounter because this miraculous encounter with the angel was not something that they had ever experienced before. Out of fear, it says, they shook and they fell to the ground as if they were dead men. They were just corpses, basically, laying on the ground. These would have been strong and capable guards, men who were stationed outside of the tomb of Christ, preparing to guard it from any intruders who tried to come in and steal away the body, which they were convinced was going to happen. The Jewish authorities were sure to assign only the toughest men for this post because they knew that Jesus had spoken of his resurrection and they wanted to make sure that no one was getting into the tomb past the guards, let alone past the stone, which sealed the entrance of the tomb to perpetuate what they believed to be a lie. And here we see these soldiers cower in fear as they fall to the ground and are rendered nothing more than corpses at the appearance of the angel. I often wonder what the women thought as they arrive on the scene early that morning and all of this is there right before them. They see that the tomb is open, the stone is rolled away, they see the angels there, but they also see the guards who are just laying on the ground like dead men. I've often wondered what they must have been thinking as they saw this. They were basically, the guards were, were prisoners in their own bodies out of fear. They couldn't move. The Bible says they were like corpses there on the ground. The women arrive to see that the tomb is completely accessible because this massive stone has been rolled away and it is believed that this stone would have weighed anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. And, and here we're told that the angel of the Lord rolled it away as if it's a tiny little pebble. And it was seen seated upon it as the women arrived. As long as that stone stood in the place, it served as a reminder that the disciple, to the disciples and everyone else that Jesus was dead and a confirmation that he would never be seen again. But now it no longer served as a door, but it served as a, as a seat. It is important to understand that the stone being rolled away 
was not done so to allow Jesus to come out, but it was a, moved away to allow the disciples to come inside. When Jesus rose from that grave, he passed through the sealed entrance of that tomb. The rolling away of the stone by the angel was not necessary for Jesus to be let out, but to serve as the evidence that the tomb was indeed empty. Then we have the glorious announcement from the angel who declared again in verse number six, he says, he is not here for he is risen as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. He invites them in to see the empty tomb where the body of Christ had previously laid but no longer was. With comforting tones, I'm sure the angel reassured the women who had come to anoint and mourn over what they expected to be the dead body of Christ. But now they find out he is alive forevermore. The angel spoke to them and assured them that their lives, that their lives rather, would soon change forever. The tomb was not able to contain him. Death could not keep him down. Faith rose from the grave and resumed its trust in God. Hope lives because our Savior lives today. But third, I want you to notice that we have a peculiar position of the grave clothes. The grave clothes themselves, where they are, is a miracle in itself. This little miracle that I'd really like to draw your attention uh, to, I, John's account, because Matthew does talk about it, but John's account says something a little specific. In John chapter 20 and verses 6 through 7, the Bible describes Peter and John running to the tomb and arriving following the report of the women who first checked it out for themselves. And it says in John 20 verses 6 and 7, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, at first glance, it doesn't appear to be too significant, but I want you to consider the following. The fact that the grave clothes of Jesus were described as laying there in an orderly fashion suggests that they were arranged that way. John is the one who gives us the most details about the grave clothes, and he mentions, he mentions them three times. The napkin that covered the head of Jesus was wrapped together, he says, in a place by itself apart from the rest of the grave clothes. Now, why did that even need to be mentioned? What was so important about mentioning where the napkin was that covered the head of Jesus? Why do we need to know about the grave clothes of Jesus? Well, here's the reason. You see, the Jewish authorities, they were convinced that Jesus was not at all the Son of God, but they were convinced that Jesus' disciples were going to try to steal the body of Jesus in order to keep the people convinced that he was indeed the Son of God, that there was a real resurrection. Now, if they could steal the body, the empty tomb would prove and would serve as a visible reminder that Jesus is not buried in that tomb, that he must be the son of God because he must have resurrected. And this is why there were guards positioned outside the tomb because let's face it, what dead man needs to have his grave guarded? If he's really dead, why do you need to have guards positioned outside the tomb? If you're convinced that he's dead, you're not worried about him escaping, but yet they roll the stone across the front of the entrance and they position guards outside of it to make sure that no one is getting in. They're not concerned about him getting out. They're convinced he's not the son of God, that he's never going to rise from the grave, but they're convinced that someone's going to try and get in and steal away his body to perpetuate what they believe to be a lie. The soldiers were there to keep, pe pe keep people from getting inside the tomb, but they could do nothing from keeping Jesus from getting out. 
So John's description of Jesus' grave clothes becomes incredibly significant because if grave robbers did indeed steal away the body of Christ, who would take enough time to sit back and arrange all the clothes in a particular order when they left with the body? Grave robbers are not concerned with keeping the place looking neat and tidy. They would have been more concerned only with just grabbing the body and getting out of there as quickly as possible. If the disciples came upon the tomb and found that the grave clothes were in disarray, they would have likely concluded that thieves must have broken in and stolen away the body. The miracle we see here is that those grave clothes of Jesus Christ were found to be in precisely the same position in which they had been left the night before when his body was still wrapped in them. There was not a single fold out of place. Though the body of Jesus had been wrapped in those clothes the night before, his body miraculously passed through the clothes which still retained the shape of his, where his body laid. The placement of his grave clothes and the napkin carefully folded, it convinced the disciples that something wonderful and miraculous must have occurred early that morning. Their master had gone and left behind the relics of his death because death could not contain him. And what an awesome picture of the grave clothes being left behind to be the validation that Jesus conquered sin and death. Now this brings us to the fourth miracle, the resurrection of Christ itself. It is impossible to overestimate the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, either in itself or its effect on the entirety of Christianity. Nor is it too much to say that a, a firm conviction of the truth of this single event would eliminate almost every difficulty connected with the supernatural beginnings of our faith. The resurrection of Christ provides a clear and a conclusive testimony to all the claims of the New Testament, and it offers every single believer in Jesus Christ the confirmation necessary for Christian living. Nothing is more clearly taught in the New Testament than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is mentioned over 150 times. There are three facts recorded with the utmost clarity and simplicity which no honest person can ever deny. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he was buried in the tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave. Those three facts constituted the entire gospel message which Paul was never ashamed to preach. And he declared this in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And notice this, he says, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel truth. Some have struggled to believe it because it seems too hard to believe. And yet we have historical records which document the truth of what the Bible teaches on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he lived, that he went to the cross, that he was buried, and now that tomb where he was buried is empty. What else could it be? What else could it be? When we accept God and all his almightiness, we must understand that anything is then possible because he is the God of all possibilities. Why should it surprise us that he could do something like raise himself from the dead? When Paul was preaching before King Agrippa, he said in Acts 26 verse 8, he said, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? 
Jesus had previously stated that he would do such a thing, as we previously noted, several occasions. John, John 10, 7, 18, he says, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Over and over, he told them he's going to die, he's going to be crucified, and he's going to rise again from the grave on the third day. So why should it surprise us that God can do anything? We read about God turning water into wine. We read about Jesus Christ walking on water. We read about him feeding multitudes of people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. We read about him raising the dead, Lazarus. We read about him healing those who were sick with all sorts of diseases. Why should it be so far-fetched to think that he could do what he said by laying down his life on the cross, burying himself in the tomb, and then rising again on the third day. It all follows the pattern which he has set before. He proved his divinity. He proved that he is God with his claims and with his teachings. And all of what we see in the resurrection falls in line exactly with everything that he's done in the past. And praise the Lord that we don't serve a Savior who is buried in a tomb, but we serve a Savior that is risen from the grave and their empty tomb is there to prove that he is indeed alive. Were it not for the resurrection of Christ, our faith would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain and none of us would be here today. The church was born as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, many of whom had assisted in Christ's death, became his disciples, thus giving more proof of the power of his resurrection. Later on, thousands more were added to the church through the preaching of Christ's resurrection. Paul would use the resurrection of Christ as an illustration of the beginning, the, the manifestation, and the goal of new life in Christ. Listen to what he said in Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 through 10. He says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we henceforth should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. The picture of coming to Christ, evidencing your life in him, living for him, are all pictured in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul describes that the resurrection of Christ, it's sweetened death for every believer because death became the means by which we're now brought into immortality with our Lord and Savior. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10 about Christ. He says, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ abolished death, destroyed it, and gave power to every minister of the gospel as they go in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who rose from the grave. The truth of Christ's resurrection is irrefutable. And yet, in spite of how many times Christ spoke of his future resurrection, his disciples struggled to believe it. Had they fully believed his words, they would not have spent time and money embalming the body of Christ. Why go through all of that when you know he's just going to be there three days and rise again? 
One of the most striking evidences, therefore, of the resurrection is the changing conduct and the minds of Christ's friends and relatives. Before Christ even died upon the cross, his own disciples fled and forsook him. They were, they were abandoned in their fear and despair and hardened in unbelief in spite of all the prophecies that they had received. Even when the women told them of the empty tomb and the angels who declared that Jesus was alive, Luke 24 verse 11 tells us, it says, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. They didn't remember all that Jesus had said. They watched him die, and they were convinced that that was it, that he would forever remain in that tomb. But how their hearts and minds changed once they were convinced of the reality of Christ's resurrection. They went and they preached with boldness and confidence like they had never had before once they believed that Christ indeed had risen from the grave. The disciples were changed men as they would even later rejoice when they suffered for preaching in the name of Jesus. Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. This is the same apostle who three times denied even knowing Christ hours before Jesus went to the cross. Listen to what he says later on. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Those are not the words of a person who does not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Those are the words of someone who is convinced that Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and three days later rose from the grave. To Peter and to all the rest of the disciples, the resurrection of Christ became the pledge that they held throughout their entire lives. They believed it with their whole hearts. They preached it with every breath, and many of them gave up their lives in defense of this truth. Multitudes were saved. Multitudes are still being saved today because they take to heart the message of Romans 10, 9, which states that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. It is therefore inconceivable that those scattered and disheartened disciples of Christ could have found confidence in a gospel that ended with Jesus staying in the tomb. They're not going to go and preach the gospel if Jesus stayed in the tomb. They went on preaching the gospel to the world because they believed that Jesus Christ rose from the grave as he said he would. It took them a little while to get there, but they got there and they went on lighting the world on fire, preaching the gospel and leading souls to salvation. We rejoice today in the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our confidence as well here in 2023, whatever year that we are. Through him, we too have the power to have an everlasting life. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave, the God we are trusting in is a liar. But the fact remains that the tomb is empty. For Christ has indeed risen from the grave. Death had no power over him. Grave had no victory over him. Victory belongs to those who are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died, was buried, and praised the Lord, rose again on the third day. You may be here today, and you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know... It's a good thing that you're here today. God has ordained you to be here. God has ordained you to be here because the message is clear. Jesus Christ is still in the salvation business today. Jesus Christ, though he may have died on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago, was buried in the tomb, and three days later walked out of that grave triumphantly. It may have been done many years ago, you may not be able to go there and to visit the empty tomb for yourself, but there is validation, there is the preaching of the disciples, there is the words of Christ as affirmation for yourself. 
all of which validate all that Jesus said that he would do, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Salvation is as simple as what it says there in Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has made it simple enough for you no matter where you come from, no matter where, what background you have, no matter what you believe culturally, no matter how long you've been living apart from Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. And all of that is possible because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. If you're here today and you have any doubts as to where you're going to spend your eternity, please, 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 do not gamble with your eternity. Do not wait for a more opportune or convenient time to turn yourself over to the mercy of the one who loves you more than you love yourself, who did everything for your salvation to be possible. Come to him today. Receive him as your Lord and Savior and believe that he is your everything. Jesus, the truth is, loves us more than we could ever love ourselves because he did for us what we could never do. He paid the entirety of all of our sin upon the cross. The entire debt is done, paid for, and settled. Some of us have yet to receive that offer because we're living in ourselves thinking that we can manage things on our own where all we have to do is to accept God's gracious gift. Salvation is available to all who will believe, but you must believe. If you have any doubts today as to where you're going to spend your eternity, please come and see me. Let me show you how simply it is to just look at God and know that he is your everything and your answer to salvation and believe on him and be saved. If you know Jesus as your Savior today, rejoice in the fact that we serve a risen Savior and you have every day of the rest of your eternity to rejoice in the fact that your God loved you enough to send his only begotten Son so that he might suffer eternally what you deserve to suffer. And because of him, you now have the hope of spending the rest of your days in heaven in the presence of God. We serve a risen Savior. Let's rejoice in that today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we can't speak enough about just how wonderful you are in all that you have done. Lord, you've done everything for us for salvation to be possible. All we have to do is to believe in you as our Savior. Our sin stood as an eternal wall between us and you. But Lord, what Jesus did destroyed it, brought down that wall, brought down those barriers and allowed us, Lord, to have forgiveness and salvation if we just believe on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, no one can do this for us. We must come to you personally. And I pray for each heart that may be here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that you would bring conviction. Lord, that their lives would be changed today because today would be the day of their salvation. May we rejoice in the fact that we serve a risen Savior who made salvation possible. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we close,